Beware of the stranger you may meet at the bar or in the street who goes out of his way to cultivate you. The man who, like Nick McCratos, plies you with favors in order to win your friendship. It is just possible he may have something else in mind. Secondly, recognize the modus operandi of the hostile intelligence agent. Almost a standard pattern to lure the unsuspecting victim into a trap until, like Pete Karras, he is in so deep there seems no way out. to Covert Contact from Blogs of War, where each week your host, John Little, takes a deep dive into the national security, intelligence, and technology stories that are shaping our world. All right, welcome to Covert Contact, episode 108. I am your host, John Little. Joining me today is uh, Maggie Gwynn. She's a former officer of the CIA's Directorate of Operations, where she served in the Middle East and North Africa. She is an active mentor for several organizations, uh, including Girl Security, which provides mentorship to young women age 14 and up who are interested in pursuing careers in national security. I uh, ran across a tweet from Maggie where she said that her First piece of advice uh, to anyone, any young person thinking about pursuing, actually any person thinking about pursuing a uh, career in intelligence or any sensitive area is not to talk about it online. And that's something that I've been saying for years and years on blogs of war. Maggie, welcome to Covert Contact. Thanks for having me, John. Uh, the internet is a very dangerous place for anyone thinking about uh, pursuing the kind of career that you had. That's very true. Yes. Uh, whether it's at CIA or any other sensitive job, uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be in an intelligence agency. Um, there are many sensitive positions, even in private companies like Boeing and other aerospace industries, technology spheres, uh, and other branches of the government, um, where there's access to information that others would want to have. So it's important if you're interested in those jobs to, uh, be discreet uh, and smart about seeking out that opportunity that interests you. So, yeah, I, I've had an online presence for years. Uh, I, you know, I've had to write blog posts and put up warnings online and my contact form on my website and everything else. Like if you're interested in pursuing a career in intelligence, don't contact me, contact the agency <laughs> you want to work for. Uh, you know, and granted, like it's, if it's coming to me, it's, it's coming to a safe place, but even you know, that's just by sheer luck on their part, right? They they don't know who I am. Uh, and just because you have a uh, presence doesn't mean that you're a safe person to contact. So the, you know, the IC has plenty of resources um, for folks out there who are interested in pursuing a career. If you're thinking about doing that, that should be your absolute first point of contact, right? Absolutely. There are uh, great resources on the government landing websites. Um, CIA.gov has a lot of information for both students um, and also um, people who have, grad who have graduated who are looking for positions. Um, and then I think there's also uh, intelligencecareers.gov. I think that's the right website. 
Um, and that's going to be beyond just CIA. Uh, and that has a lot of great opportunities, including a lot of internship programs uh, for those who are still in school. Yeah, you can start thinking about this when you're in middle school, high school. There, There's work that you can do as a very young adult to start lining uh, up a career in, in intelligence and pursuing um you know, as you said, internships, and there's a tremendous amount of information on, you know, how to do that and how to, you know, how to establish contact and make, go through that process in the right way. Agreed. A lot of your work now is focused on, on mentoring young women. Uh, and, and you, you know, you have really good thoughts on sort of personal security and how to approach this. Is any of this gender specific um, do young women have specific hurdles that that they have to overcome that maybe young men or men don't? Well, my personal take on it is that at the applicant stage, no, I really don't think there's anything specific um, when somebody is assessing their own behaviors. Uh, you know, not taking drugs, keeping your nose clean, uh, not engaging in illegal activities, uh, reviewing how you position yourself online as an extension of your own reputation. Um, Those are not gender specific. Uh, I think the gender specificity probably comes into play once you are uh, an employee. um, And as an employee, you are going to agree to uh, overseas global deployment um, anywhere. Uh, And so you have to be comfortable knowing that you might be deployed to places that are volatile, um, that have, you know, high rates of violence towards women, uh, where your safety uh, might very well be at an everyday risk. So those are things that obviously uh, the agency does do particular trainings for. Um, but that is something that as a woman, unfair and as realistic as it is, uh, has to be considered. Uh, is that something that you're willing to, uh, an additional risk that you're going to take on as a CIA officer? What kind of concerns um, your you're interacting with young women who are thinking about pursuing careers in this field. What kind of uh, concerns rise to the top when you're, when you're talking to them about, you know, potential risk and security concerns? Well, I think a lot of people, when they think about the agency, um, think James Bond, you know, even though different, uh, or different Jack intelligence Ryan. agency. Yeah. Or Jack <laughs> Ryan. Um, and it's thrilling. And, um, and, you know, youth are often thinking, you know, they're uh, indestructible, um, which is can be quite a benefit at that age. Uh, so I'm, I'm not hearing a lot of concerns. I'm hearing just eagerness. Um, you know, what can I do to get in the door? Um, you know, or practical issues. You know, I've, I've done the polygraph and I, I pinged on something, I think. And, and <laughs> um, issues they probably should not be asking uh, me. But like you said, there are the people who really don't feel like they have others who can, they can turn to. So, uh, going back to that point that they should be aware of who they are speaking with. Um, pretty confident that the person they're talking to is who they claim to be. But when it comes to concerns, I've also heard um, recently a really interesting anecdote of somebody who was not a CIA applicant, but for another uh, job in the government who was filling out their SF-86 and acknowledged that they had bought CBD oil at Whole Foods. And apparently this was the issue that they were told was a no-go for that particular government agency, which I thought was disconcerting um, that a security officer would take that that assessment. 
But I think it also speaks to, you know, thinking through what does and really understanding what rises to the occasion of of good behavior, um, of putting down what's being asked of you. You know, have you ever done drugs? You know, some a product that is sold in a Whole Foods, you know, regardless of states that have marijuana laws. I mean, that's not going to rise to the occasion. Uh, yeah. But yeah, but in, yeah. <laughs> that's a minefield right now, isn't it, with the, the sort of the changing social and legal landscape? Yes, it is. Um, and I am not an expert in how that's playing out currently. Um, but yeah, my, my biggest advice is, you know, always play it safe. Uh, I was, my main agency that I wanted to work for as a college student was the FBI. They didn't want me. Uh, the CIA did. But uh, I kept my nose clean through college because I had that objective in mind. And so I think that's something that's important for those who this really is their career ambition um, is do what it takes. You know, if, if that means that you're saying no to marijuana, even if it's legal in your state, um, do that, you know, and just uh, give yourself the best chances possible when it comes to those very, um, well, increasingly gray areas, but, um, but those uh, issues of, of concern when processing. Well, I think even more difficult than saying no to drugs, even soft drugs, is um, and this is really challenging because kids are starting it nearly at, at while well, their parents are starting it at birth, and then they immediately pick it up afterwards. But that's social media activity, uh, absolutely documenting yeah. your entire life, uh, having your mm-hmm. face online where it can be uh, sucked into facial recognition databases that can get repurposed for intelligence purposes by uh, hostile actors. There's just, um, and not to mention what could be, I mean, a lot of it's just normal stuff that kids do, but it could look like bad behavior or something that is untrustworthy. So how do, how do we even begin to approach that? I think, well, the issue of, of parents documenting their children's lives um, is an issue that's going to increasingly be problematic uh, because Facebook has been around for so long that soon people who are graduating from college and applying to these jobs they'll have been their entire lives are are online uh, without necessarily their definitely not without their consent. There were children. Um, And so that can limit things, uh, especially, you know, if if they wanted to work in alias um, with facial recognition, as you said, it's, it can be career limiting. Um, So I think on awareness, starting with an awareness of what's online about you, uh, whether you posted it or not, whether it was your parents or your friends. Uh, So, you know, doing, um, doing a scrub, knowing, you know, Google yourself, uh, look at old files, you know, old pages that pop up and do the, the cleanup work that you can. And so, and that's something that I did when I was, um, in processing is, and I searched for myself and I still do, uh, to see what's out there. Um, I had been interviewed by a, a newspaper when I was in college about something and I thought, well, I don't want that out there. So I contacted the publisher and had them remove the link. And that's something that you can do to an extent um, that's in your power. Not everything is going to be removable. You know, saying like once it's online, it's online forever. Um, but I think beginning with, you know, knowing what's out there, considering and thinking about online space as an extension of your reputation and answering that question, what does this say about me? What is, what's the perception out here? Uh, and also taking into control what you can. So 
like Facebook, for example, has, you know, you can control when other people tag you in things and, um, and you can review that before it's posted. So that's increasingly important when, you know, you're a young person and at a party and, you know, do you want all those party pics online? Uh, also thinking through, I'm, I'm hearing my mom's, you know, voice in my head when I say this, do all your photos have, you know, have you pictured with an alcoholic beverage? <laughs> yeah. You know? So yeah, uh, thinking that through. Well, and that's something that virtually, every, I mean, every professional should be thinking about that right now to some extent. It's really become normalized, True. right? That you can have virtually any uh, any content out there and it's okay. But uh, you'd be surprised at uh, how people look at that critically. Uh, and it's yeah. something that I frequently have to do when I'm dealing with people. And it's amazing, you know, somebody who does network analysis and um, can pretty quickly map together somebody's life by their activity and their connections on social media. Uh, I think you know people would be somewhat terrified to know just how revealing their content is, even if they don't actually you know say it out loud. Um, mm-hmm. And I tell cleared professionals this all the time: like you may not talk about work, but if if uh, if everyone that you're connected to on Twitter is a member of your agency and you're, you're there, there's a LinkedIn post out there with your background on it, like I kind of know everything I need to know about what you do. Yeah, that's very true. And also in what posts they're interacting with online. I mean, aside from who they're following and who's following them. Uh, and we've seen that. We've seen government officials get hung up on that because they've liked the wrong tweet or reposted or retweeted something, um, you know, it, it really can be damaging. What else uh, is top of mind uh, for you when you're, when you're advising these younger folks? Well, one of the, the things and the frustrations that I've heard commonly are people who say, well, I've applied and I haven't heard anything. <laughs> um, and I, and it is, it does seem like a black hole often. And, and this is kind of across the board with job applications. Uh, often there are no, no responses, whether affirmative or negative. And, uh, and it, it can be frustrating. Um, what's good about the CIA is that in non-pandemic times, they have recruiters that are at job fairs, uh, whether it's on a college campus or, um, or another uh, forum where there are job opportunities it's really, it's a great opportunity to talk in person with somebody who represents the CIA and has sway over your application. Um, that is, that is just I, an opportunity that so many people, I think, fail to seize. Uh, the recruiter um, is, I really can't <laughs> under uh, emphasize or overemphasize this, how critical they are. When I was applying uh, to the agency or when I was initially contacted, uh, and it was a really kind of comical uh, phone call because they called me and I had been applying to many different agencies. And I got this cryptic phone call saying, hi, we're calling from a government agency about your application. And I said, you're going to have to be a little bit more specific. <laughs> who is this? Is this the FBI <laughs> who I wanted to work for? Um, and no, it was the CIA. But because of the timing um, of what I was doing, I was in graduate school at the time, uh, they put me on pause and they said, okay, well, we'll, we'll just, you know, pick up, act, reactivate your application in, you know, six months or whatever, because the CIA application period is pretty lengthy. 
but it they wanted to, to time it right with my anticipated graduation date. So nothing happened. I got to that time period and I called a voicemail, nothing. And I thought, what's happened? They've forgotten about me. Well, it's a human organization. Uh, it's fallible. So I went to a career fair where there was a recruiter and went up and I said, this is what happened. You guys were interested in me. I called you down nothing. I don't, you know, is, is yeah. has, has something changed? Is it me? You know? So, uh, yeah. Um, it was like a, you know, a date that went well and then you don't hear from them again. Right. So the recruiter, uh, was able to reactivate me, um, based on that exchange, which was great. And so I got my processing back on track. So things do happen. Um, the recruiters, you know, they have that ability to help guide you. Um, and also look into things, uh, whether they choose to be candid or not, or have the ability to be candid with you about your application is a totally different thing. But uh, they can be a great resource. Unfortunately, with the pandemic, uh, these in-person career fairs aren't happening right now, which I know is a real frustration, um, I'm sure, on both sides. There was, uh, just this past week, um, in, uh, in August, a virtual intelligence career fair. Yep. And uh, I know some people who participated and I heard back that CIA and FBI recruiters did not show. And, you know, they put up a little notice saying they weren't there, but, you know, you take, take our information, like our resources about our agency and opportunities. And I thought, you know, things happen, of course. Um, staffing is, is tough in these times right now with COVID and, and how the CIA is dealing with that. But what a loss. I mean, it's a real loss for both the applicants and also the agency to have those connections. So um, when it's feasible, um, I do recommend that people try to make those in-person connections when they can with recruiters. Yeah. Another thing that's uh, been impacted by COVID is um, there was, you know, the, over the past few years have been a lot of um, a fairly high profile at like a lot of technical conferences, hacker conferences, you know, folks who want to go go that route are in high demand and they've been fairly easy to, to locate at a lot of even relatively small, like there's a technical uh, conference B it's called B sides and they, you know, they tend to be fairly small and they operate quite frequently uh, at the local level uh, and they pop up all over the place. And, um, you know, I've seen recruiters quite active at those places as well. And, uh, that's not going to return for a while, I guess. Um, so yeah, you can't you can't put uh, you can't put recruiting completely on hold uh, because of COVID. It's going to be uh, you know we're talking about I guess now we're looking at you know an easy two or three years of disruption, right? Oh, I hope it's not that long. But yes, um, I mean on, the processing takes level. a long time. Yeah. Uh, getting back to your point about the the timeline, um, if you want to do anything and and in sensitive areas. Um, even if it's not, it can be in the private sector. Uh, I've, I've been offered more than one job where, um, you know, they haven't been willing to tell me anything at all about the work that I would be doing. (laughs) Just sort of, (laughs) here's our company and, uh, you know, we're amazing. And here are some amazing people that you might be working with and the project is amazing. (laughs) 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 What is it? Oh, well, we can't tell you. Uh, and so that, that's sort of, um, that's a difficult thing to deal with. Um, and you, you need that sense of, uh, 
uh, I guess, adventure <laughs> to pursue a career <laughs> in intelligence, right? Because you're not, you're not going to have, um, and nobody's going to offer you specifics on what you're going to be doing up front. Right. Yeah. And, you know, things might have changed. Um, but when I was an applicant, uh, I did get some choices. Uh, and I don't know if they still do that, but uh, I was, I was uh, interviewed in, uh, initially and, and, and remained on track with the director of operations. Um, but they have multiple career tracks. So they were like, get to know these tracks. Look at online. We have descriptions, staff operations officer, collection management officer, targeting officer, um, in this case officer, and tell us which of these appeals to you most. Um, and I thought that was uh, really great because I think often when you're applying to jobs, you, you really don't feel like you're in control of anything. And here I was being asked what my preference was. Um, so I was able to rank what I wanted to do, what I thought I did based on the limited information that I had. Right. Um, and that was, yeah. And, and interviewed for the, for that role, which I thought was a pretty interesting way of, of going about it. And that's about the only way that it can be done. Right. I mean, there's, there's, um, there's so many factors that going into determining whether you can pursue one of those roles or whether you're a good fit or a good fit at the time. Yeah. And then, and then the training too, will put you when, once you're in the door, you're able to do different interims, um, in the different positions to further solidify your choice and you can go um, through, and also just awareness and you can go through the training and decide halfway through it that it's not the fit that you thought it was too. Right. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> yes. Sort of. I mean, <laughs> that might be the end of your agency career. But yeah. Yeah. So it's always, you know, the needs versus your own desires and balancing that. And uh, usually the agency wins, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, the yeah. Employer, employer always wins. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Um, and that is, you know, that's another piece of advice that I give people is um, to really know your own strengths um, and also your weaknesses, uh, what it is that motivates you. Um, because if you are somebody who is OCD and doesn't like change, you know, the agency is probably not going to be your place. Or travel. Because uh, every day is, yeah, <laughs> or travel. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. Uh, you just, you never want to leave home and not a good idea. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Knowing, um, and being comfortable like with, with different kinds of things. Um, and the agency does all, I, it's, their trainings are so wonderful, uh, especially pre-deployment trainings, um, trying to get you to understand different cultures. Um, so, you know, hopefully everybody is just curious and naturally learning about them, but often when you're reading up on your portfolio before deploying, you don't have time to really get all the nuances. So the pre-deployment trainings, um, especially for war zones, were really helpful in understanding what's culturally accepted um, or expected. Uh, you know, and um, and also just learning some some basic greetings uh, so that you are making a good first impression on the ground. Um, I, I just yeah, and the safety courses too, I think, are really helpful. We talked um, a bit earlier about you know, uh, deploying to insecure areas. Um, for some areas, uh, weapons training is mandatory. Um, so that can also help people, at least help me feel a little bit safer, um, knowing that I was armed and knew how to use my weapon. 
you talked about the importance of knowing your own strengths. What about something we've talked about here recently is the importance of also knowing your own weaknesses, maybe? I don't know if I want to call them weaknesses, but... Lesser strengths? Well, less, lesser strengths, <laughs> yeah. but also uh, the points of uh, potential uh, discrepancy between, you know... Um, your personal values and the values of the agency that you want to work for or what you perceive to be their values uh, and those ethical conflicts that lead people to become disillusioned or become leakers or even worse, mm. uh, betray their country. Uh, how important is it to, to think about that up front and to be honest, especially as you're a recruit or going through training, learning, perhaps learning things that, really surprising to you how important is it for folks to to do that internal check and is is that something that you you know you personally had to do as you went through the process and yeah i think it's critically important and also we're talking about the incredible timeline and demands of of just applying um you know going through you know uh polygraph you know psychological medical assessments um lots of testing it takes commitment so I think knowing why do I want this job, um, what is it that's motivating and driving that desire? Uh, for me, it was public service, um, you know, wanting to serve my country. And so that's what, what kept me going and also just a very authentic interest in international relations. Right. So um, it was those two things that really, that drove me. Um, I did, I did do a, an interview, informational interview shortly after I left. And I was sort of surprised because I went into the agency, you know, thinking, you know, what can I do for my country? And this um, particular person who I was interviewing with, I thought that they would have a similar mindset. And instead they said, uh, caught me off guard when this kid said, well, what can the agency do for me? <laughs> I thought, oh, wow, that is not the right mindset. Um, so it is, it is, it is a demanding organization because it's a demanding mission. If you go in with the intent of, you know, wanted to serve my country, um, that will serve you well. There definitely will be ethical issues that come up um, during the course of the career. Um, one came up for me particularly early on in my career. And I remember it was, um, I really, it, it just threw me because there was incredible responsibility right out the gate. Um, and that's, one of the best things I think about the agency is that it really helps to form officers right away um, as they're even being trained. Uh, and then slightly terrifying I, though, right? It is. Yeah. It was very terrifying. Um, but what's reassuring and um, or two particular instances um, pretty early on. And I remember turning to my, uh, my boss and I said, I don't, I don't really know what to do. <laughs> you know, authentic, you know, being honest inside the agency is very prized. Uh, you lie to everybody else outside the agency, but you do not lie to your colleagues. And so I was like, I don't know what to do. I'm torn between X and Y. And I love that uh, she said, uh, in the in the latter case, it was a woman. She said, well, thankfully, it's not your decision. And <laughs> at that level, um, and because I was pretty junior, uh, it was reassuring to hear that. And that is one of the things about the agency is it is very much kind of like a team. Um, you usually work on teams even when faced with ethical issues and they do come up um, and depending on where in the agency you work, they might, you know, come up a little bit more frequently than other times. Right. But, uh, but it's helpful to know that there are sounding boards. Um, and, you know, I push 
you know, one way or the other way, sometimes not the, ended up in the right place. Like, I think I pushed back on one decision that looking back, I think, oh, I was on the wrong side of that. But it's great because there is conversation um, and there is never, not necessarily consensus, but there it, it's part of a larger conversation. And so it's never really an operation of one. I think that's something popular culture really drops the ball on uh, in terms of preparing uh, folks um, since they get most of like their cues for this line of work from popular culture before they actually start on it. Uh, and it's always the lone actor, right? It's, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's uh, very rarely is it seen as like actual teamwork. It's always, you know, it's always James Bond or the analyst that, you know, the Jack Ryan thing and, Nobody else gets it, and uh, they have to save the day and make all the decisions themselves. Um, yeah. The world just doesn't always work that way, and rarely. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the hackers, and, and I don't want to go too far down that path, but just because it's a little bit off of our topic. Um, but that was one of the great frustrations when I was um, – I, I worked on some of the, the WikiLeaks stuff, and it was – it really is um, – horrifying to know one person, one contractor, disillusion can uh, decide that they know better. Um, and that, of course, they vetted every single piece of information before they put it out there, Impossible. not knowing that they're jeopardizing lives and that they don't even have the, the training or bandwidth to have reviewed everything. Like I just, I, that was incredibly frustrating. Um, I, I think there are, you know, legitimate pathways to voicing concerns um, speaking truth to power is one of those um, kind of throwaway fa- phrases, but it, it actually has incredible meaning and reverence um, at the agency. And I think that, you know, there's proper whistleblower complaints. Um, I mean, I- I'm friends with Mark Zaid and, you know, he tries to educate everybody online about right. there's proper procedures for doing this. Like there is no need to be leaking things. Yeah. Um, I was, so, yeah. I was thinking about this. We've been talking about it here in the past few episodes, actually. Um, if you're one person looking at, at classified information, especially if you weren't directly involved in it, and even to some extent if you were, you know, you can say that I've scrubbed it of names and therefore it's okay. But, you know, there are people on the hostile side. They're going to take all that information and they're going they're going to build timelines off of it. They're going to connect it to what they know and and – you know, uh, folks they've been monitoring or maybe haven't monitored up to that point, and they're going to connect dots in ways that you can't even foresee. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you don't know, you know, why that program existed, if it was real, if it, I mean, there's just so many different layers of this, and it's going to be uh, absorbed and processed and used in a way that is not necessarily straightforward. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I totally agree. Uh, and, and so that's, you know, that again, when you're a leaker, even if you think uh, you're, you're speaking truth to power, but uh, there are so many ways that you can do damage uh, and they're not, uh, they're not always obvious. You, you mentioned something that I think is very important. And it's when I've talked to younger folks, it actually has come up as a problem. You know, you say you lie to everyone else. Uh, you, 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 you're honest with your, your coworkers. Uh, but you lie to everyone else. And, you know, I've actually had people tell me, I, I want a career in intelligence, even to be on the operational side, but I really don't want to lie to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's one of the things I, 
I try to get into that those sort of ethical dilemmas. It seems fairly uh, you know fairly straightforward, but some people just aren't cut out for that. Um, are aren't able aren't comfortable sort of walking that you know walking that line. Um, mm-hmm. How how do you um, do you know does that come up in conversations that you have? And how would you how would you prepare somebody? Um, you know, to deal with that and uh, and to evaluate that that question themselves. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely an issue, and it, it was something actually I struggled with because I'm a very honest person. And then I was in a job where uh, I had to lie to almost everybody in my life about what I did for a living. Right. Um, but I think for me it was okay, and I and I would probably advise somebody else the same way that if you're doing it for the right reason, um, and not that you know. The, the ends justifies the means in, that, in all cases. But in this particular case, you're protecting the work that you do. You're protecting um, the people that you serve with um, and the overall mission. And all of that could be jeopardized if you were to be open, an open book, honest. How was your day? Well, let me tell you about this interagency meeting I attended. Well, you know, <laughs> some things aren't meant to be shared. And it's a comfort level, I think, that becomes a way of life uh, at the agency because it is something that is just becomes part of your day to day. And I think it's, I think emphasizing discretion at the outset for people who are interested helps to train them to understand that, well, there's certain, there's a certain part of my life that's going to be private. Um, and in an age of where we share so much online, this, this is kind of an anomaly. So we're going to be, you know, this is going to be part that's going to be secret to me. Um, and, you know, whoever, I decide, you know, American citizen who's trusted to confide in, but it's going to be a small group of people that will actually know. I, I see it as an extension of um, the security clearance and uh, the oath because you're protecting everybody. Um, you know, I still will maintain the cover stories of, of colleagues who are, who are there because that's important. Um, it helps them to do their jobs. You're giving a perfect answer, right? It's understanding the context in which you're doing your engaging in things that you wouldn't otherwise normally do. Exactly. And, and the, the kind of funny um, trade-off is you're doing a really cool job. Like, I mean, it's, it's not Jack Ryan material, but <laughs> it is. Um, I mean, it's, it, it would probably be a snooze fest to watch in a movie form, but, uh, but like your, your work that you do is really important. You know, even the little, you know, annoyingly mundane tasks, are part of a bigger picture that are incredibly important. But on the outside, to most people, you're a really, you know, lowly bureaucrat who's doing boring stuff because you don't give the impression that you do anything cool. Um, I mean, I would go to so many parties and dinner parties and bars and, you know, I just never talked about my job. And, you know, or if I did, I'd deflect and like make myself sound like I was just doing secretarial work, you know, and at, you know, my government agency and my cover provider. And, you know, it just, it really was interesting. Um, and I only recently had my, my cover uh, removed and so many people were surprised. And they were like, I didn't know. And I thought, good, I did my job. <laughs> right. yeah. yeah. You mean you never had a helicopter like swoop in and pick you up at a garden party unexpectedly? I, I know. That would be so cool. That really <laughs> would be. No, I mean, uh, yeah, I get called into work sometimes when I was on duty, but now um, it was usually a phone call or a page. So, 
Sadly, no helicopters came for me. Yeah. Uh, this is where I want to plug a book that I always plug um, and I always recommend to people. Uh, it's Fair Play, The Moral Dilemmas of Spying by James Olson, uh, where he he takes a lot of um, uh, realistic scenarios, uh, really presents them to people in ways that they can understand and process. And it's excellent reading if you're thinking about pursuing a career uh, in this field, um, because it's best to think about, again, I'm a broken record here, but think about these things up front. And you'll save, uh, potentially save yourself time and anguish and uh, the agency that might hire you a lot of money and time and anguish as well. Um, <laughs> and, you know, uh, if you get through it and you think that it works for you, then you'll be even better prepared to be be successful as you as you embark on that adventure. Well, Maggie, uh, I think it's it's been great. Uh, I think there's more to talk about. I'd love to have you back on Covert Contact at some point and dig deeper into these topics. I'd love that. Thanks so much, John. It was a pleasure talking with you. You have been listening to Covert Contact from Blogs of War. This podcast is produced, written, and hosted by John Little. Follow John on Twitter at Blogs of War and join the conversation with hashtag CCBOW. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.